You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Welcome to Kickoff Weekend. I am so excited. We're launching into a new season, and of course, every Kickoff Weekend, we reaffirm the reason why we do church the way we do church. Why is it that we have focused our church's mission and vision around knowing God, loving people, and impacting our city? Do you like the t-shirt? Like, it's not t-shirt weather, but, but I had to wear it because this is kickoff weekend. And you can pick up yours in the Resource Center if you want to grab one of those. But here's the interesting thing. Whether you're online, we're so glad you're with us today, or you're at our Agent Corps campus I want to talk and um, visit really these three words around message, mission, and method as to why we do church and what is the church, what should the church be about? You know, we're headed into this new series. Pastor Keith's coming back. He's been off. He's going to be kicking off next week. It's okay to be different. Is it? Is it okay to, to be different in our culture right now? To be people of faith? To have people that resonate with a message? Well, of course it is. What I want to do is, over the years, I've been a part of you guys off and on for about 18 years now, and you've heard me on occasion share little snippets of uh, the ministry journey that I've been on with my wife, Shelly. Uh, 23 years ago, when I was 23 years old, sorry, not 23 years ago, when I was 23 years old, we, we planted a church in Eastern Canada, and I talk about it, and I've shared little stories about it, because it formed the way I see message, mission, and method and I see the church impacting a city. It's shaped us, you know, be, probably because of this stage in life we were, but probably the circumstances around it. So when I visit back and I think about those moments, I'm amazed we even bother planting a church in this regard. I was 23, I knew nothing. I had nothing. We had no budget. We had no staff. We had no church sign. I didn't even have a name for the church. We didn't have a facility. We had no musical instruments, and we started a church in our living room in the most under-resourced and impoverished area in eastern Canada. It was a challenge. What did we know about this? We had nothing but a message. Now, here's the problem with the message, though. I had heard this message so often. Like many things in life, you begin to undervalue them and underestimate them when you've heard them early and often. It's kind of like if you're married. It, you take for granted the people that are in your life, right? Why? Because they're always there. So don't take them for granted. Because they might not be there. And this message was something that I heard early and often. And I, I made the mistake of thinking this message was for beginners. This message was for beginnings. And I made that mistake because, again, I thought, I'm going to start a church. I need to center it around that message. But, you know, because obviously it's going to be a church filled with beginners. Big mistake. What is this message? Well, if you're six years old and in the room and you're dancing up front and you're a follower of Jesus, this message is in you. If you're 96 years old and you're in this room and you're a follower of Jesus, this message is in you. The Apostle Paul would say it this way. He'd say this. Next slide. If you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness 
we carry this precious message around in unadorned clay pots for, of our ordinary lives. He's saying that inside of people, and you look around the room and everybody looks ordinary. Everybody looks great, right? Yeah, everybody looks amazing, but everyone's ordinary. And you might miss the fact that if they're a follower of Jesus, there is something extraordinary inside of them. It's the gospel, the message of Jesus. So I'm going to need all of your help in this message this weekend. I need you to do your part. Are you prepared to do your part? Here's your part. I'm going to cue you, and I'm going to say, it's your turn. And when I say, it's your turn, you're going to say this verse, where Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, talking about the message of Jesus, he responds this way. He says, oh, where'd it go? There we go. He says, we're not keeping this quiet, not on your life. Now, when I cue you, I need you to say that. But don't say that like I just said it. Say it with, like, we're not keeping this quiet, not on your life. Okay, you ready? Let's try that. Okay, three, two, one. We're not keeping this quiet, not on your life. Okay, best crowd yet. Unreal. That was awesome. So good. We're going to do it one more time. You ready? Three, two, one. We're not keeping this quiet, not on your life. Well, friends, this story, this gospel that's inside of us, the spirit of Jesus that is inside of us is so valuable and so powerful it's transformative. Paul calls it a treasure in one part of the scripture. He calls it a power. In fact, in, first, or in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says this, For I am not ashamed of the message. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Christ, about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. It's interesting, the Nobel Peace Prize was created by a man named Alfred Nobel. And Alfred Nobel uh, really became famous because he invented, he was an inventor, he invented a technology that was so seismic and life-changing. It was able to put holes in mountains, take down the side of mountains. And he wanted to name this technology and he had a friend who spoke Greek and he asked them, what's the Greek word for explosion? And the guy said, dunamis, dunamis. And he came up with the word dynamite from that. Think of that when you think of the gospel. Paul uses the word dunamis here, translated power in the English. When you think of the gospel, think of the word dynamic. Think of the word explosive. That when the gospel, this message that is inside of everyone who's a follower of Jesus, it has explosive potential. There's a, an explosion that happens when the gospel goes out. It's the simple message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And we're entrusted with it. When I was writing this message... I was reading so many of the words of Jesus, and I was reading so many people who were writing about the life of Jesus. Some of you know what I mean. You get to moments when you're talking about Jesus and something just starts burning in your heart. I hit that moment. I had to stop writing at one point, and my wife, Shelly, was sitting next to me, and she got an earful about Jesus because I couldn't stop talking about him. I'd read this. And some of you might be familiar with this. Someone wrote this years ago about the life of Jesus. It's called One Solitary Life. It says he was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He worked in a carpentry shop until he was 30. 
And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. When the tide of popular opinion turned against him, his friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies. He was tried and convicted. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never went to college. He never traveled more than 200 miles from his home. He never did one of the things we usually accompanies greatness. Yet all the armies that ever marched, all the governments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned had not affected upon this earth as powerfully as one solitary message. And it's Jesus, friends. It is the unchanging message. See, the interesting thing about this message is inside of us who are followers of Jesus. You don't get to change the message. We call that heresy. <laughs> the message is the story of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. And it's not just for beginnings. It's changing. It changes everybody. This is why in our church, knowing God is a big and critical part of our mission and vision. It starts there. To know the beauty, the wonder, and the love of Jesus. The one who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. This message changed Shelley and I. Not only individually when we were younger, but when I'm planting that church at 23, I'm just a young adult. When I planted that church, I had no idea how powerful the message really was. I knew it had power to help people start over their life. I knew it had power to help people get restored back to life. But you know what I missed? I missed the fact that it had power to change people, to break addictions, to raise them up and put them back in the way God intended them to be. I didn't understand how deep that message was. I thought we had nothing and we had everything. What we found about the gospel was it found people just as they were and it never left them just as they were. It changed them. So friends, have you underestimated the message? Are you underestimating the power of the message that resonates, resonates inside of you? Well, here's your turn. Here's your part. We're not keeping this quiet. Not on your life. Uh, one more time, friends. And this time, maybe turn to someone next to you and say, I'm not. Okay, ready? Ready? Okay. I'm not keeping this quiet. Not on your life. So we have this message that has been entrusted to us, that has transformed us. And immediately, Jesus gives us a mission. We can't change the message. We can't choose the mission. Jesus chose the mission for us. He chose the mission. He chose the mission for the church. So what is the church community for? Well, the, church, the mission of the church is to make disciples. It is to find people and see them transformed closer to the image of who Jesus is. So we do that through teaching, by challenging, by encouraging, by equipping, by praying, by reading. We do that all with this purpose of being more like Jesus because the church exists to make disciples. My favorite author, uh, C.S. Lewis, he said it even more poignantly. He said this. He said, the church exists for nothing else. Can you say the word nothing else? Nothing else, not the word, the words, <laughs> nothing else, but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ, just like Jesus. If they are not doing that, 
all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. Now, don't walk out of here thinking this man was making light of Scripture. He's, what he's saying is, friends, if your reading of the Bible is not transforming you into the type of person that is on mission, then we're missing the point. We can have sermons. We can listen to dozens of sermons. We can go to church services. We can pray. We can become clergy. But if we are not doing drawing men to Christ, we're missing the point. The mission of this church is to know God and love people, to disciple them into Christ, to become more like them. And friends, make no mistake about it. There's lots of discipling happening. We have competition. Our culture is discipling you every day. Every day, the culture is discipling you. See, see the, world, the culture would say, Jesus says this to us, to those who follow him, he says, deny yourself. Why? Because he knows that we have appetites for things that will lead us away from him. And he says, don't follow your appetites, deny yourself. Because here's the interesting thing, with God and the way he's created you, when we live a life where we're willing to deny ourselves of some things in life, it actually leads us into the freedom we crave. But the culture disciples us differently, says indulge yourself. Jesus would say, he disciples us and he'd say, narrow is the way. And our culture would say, always. And uh, Jesus would say, it's my ways that are higher than your ways. And our culture would say, it's any way you want it. And against the backdrop of that, we hear the message of Christ. It transforms us and changes us from the inside out. And it should automatically make us into those people. You know who those people are? Do you ever meet those people? You ever meet those people that can't stop bragging on their children? Ever meet those people that can't stop talking about their grandkids? It's quiet in this place. You're those people, aren't you? <laughs> oh, sorry, method. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing about that is, why do people do that? Why do they brag on their kids? Why do they brag on their grandkids? Well, because they love them. They love them. They're proud of them. They identify with them. They're proud of their accomplishments because there's a little piece of them in them, isn't there? I, you know, I don't get tired of it, actually. Go ahead, bring it on. I love hearing about your grandkids. You know when you sit with someone and within two minutes that has nothing to do with the conversation, but the phone is out and they're showing you pictures of children you don't even know. Now here's the interesting thing. Interesting thing. When we get entrusted with this message, we're supposed to be those people. We're supposed to be those people. That we're so deep into Jesus we love him so deeply that he squirts out of us. Not in some aggressive, overbearing, shouting at people way, but it's just a natural way. It's a part of our conversation. Why? Because we're on mission. He's so a part of our lives. We can't help but talk about him. We can't help but be involved with him. I wonder when Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of this message. I wonder if he was thinking of the more sobering words of Jesus in Mark chapter 8. Jesus said, like, pre-warning, before this comes up, whoa, put it, put it back. Before this comes up, a little pre-warning. These are sobering words. And Jesus shares them. He says this, If anyone 
is ashamed of me and my message. In these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's a tough message. So tough, I'll read it again. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person. I wonder if Paul was thinking, when he said, I'm not ashamed, I wonder if he was thinking of Jesus' words. I wonder if he was thinking that. But you know, friends, you and I, we all have this thing called fear inside of us, don't we? And I wonder why, I think this beautiful, isn't it brilliant that Jesus said, for every follower of Jesus, if you're going to follow me, you need to be baptized. Why did he do that? You know what I think he did? I think it's brilliant. Immediately he said, I want you to make a public confession of your faith that you're a follower of me in front of a community of people who love me. And that, it's far easier to declare it in a community like this than it is outside of here. And what he was doing is making us confront our fear immediately. And he knew if we waited and waited and waited, we'd become what some people call submarine Christians, you know? They are underwater all week and they come up on Sunday and then they go back down underwater all week. He knew we needed to get out there. We needed to declare that, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. And so he compels us. We're a follower of Jesus. He says the next, next step for you is to be baptized. Last week's message sure pointed that out for us with Pastor Dennis. You know, that's a first step. But friends, why do we fear that step? Why do we fear people at work knowing we're Christians? Why do we fear family members knowing? Well, because I think you're the same as me. I think we fear rejection. I think we all have this fear of rejection. So some of us, even many, many years ago, we grabbed the hold of the message. But when it comes to mission, we'd far rather talk about it than do it. How do we overcome the fear to be people that take the message and are on mission? This is the theme of the message. Here's the way you do it. You've got to go back to the message. You've got to go back to the message. You've got to go back and remember, as the psalmist would say, the joy of your salvation. How incredibly loved and cherished you are. You need to meditate on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you. You need to allow God's love to wash over you. How accepted you are by Jesus Christ. How loved and cherished. What limit would he go to? Well, he would spare no limit in finding you. And when you do, you recognize how secure you are. How secure you are and accepted you are by Jesus. Here's the beautiful thing. When you come to that realization, no longer are you so needy because you're so loved. You're able to be loving to people. You're able to share the message with others. You're able to be a part of God's vision. One of our young adults in this church uh, came to Christ through Alpha last year. Uh, thinking, processing, and crossed the line and came, became a follower of Jesus. And you know what I love about his story? Is he immediately moved from message to mission. So we're running Alpha this fall. And at work, people began to say, how come you're working differently? What's wrong with you? Or what's changed in you? And he had the opportunity to say, well, it was Jesus. I went to Alpha and I found Jesus. And then his family members noticed difference. And he invites them to Alpha. 
And I love that he didn't wait to get on mission. Just like baptism, he stepped into it immediately. So he didn't develop the habit of hiding it. He developed the habit of sharing it naturally, not aggressively, but naturally as part of an extension of his life. Friends, I wonder how many of you, you need to take a step. Some of us are at the beginning phases. You might need to go to Alpha to hear the message. Others of us, we need to be a part of Alpha to be a part of mission, inviting someone to join us with that. When we were planning this church, Shelley and I, again, 23, 24, I didn't know enough to know I didn't know enough. And we thought, how are we going to start? And so we started with this kids' ministry, and we called it the zoo. And this was the very first week, and that's all the kids that showed. And in the end, there were hundreds of kids. It was an incredible experience. Uh, this next picture, these are old photos I have. These are some of the kids in our group. And I was just looking at their picture this week, and I was thinking, they're adults now. This is 25 years ago. And I had the privilege of sharing the message, Jesus, with them. And just like the kids were down front, they're adults. Some of them may be moms and dads. And I, you know, I had an opportunity to just pray over them. God, let the kernel, that seed of truth in their life, bear fruit. May they be godly men and women. And we moved from that. And we began to create a church because all of a sudden their parents were interested. And this is me with hair. Uh, as we started this church and we set up and tear down in this dingy gymnasium. And every week we just shared the gospel. Every week we shared the good news of Jesus Christ. And we saw people discover God, know God. They begin to love each other. And it made an impact. So much so, this is, blew me away at the time. Blew me away. So much so that the community began to change and the community began to talk. And the local newspaper called us and said, we want to interview you guys because you're doing something in that community and it's changing the community. So they came in, they did, interviewed us. But listen, friends, if I could take you back in time and you showed up of a service there, none of you would be impressed. We were a rather unimpressive group of people. I think I was the only one with a college education. I think we didn't have money, we didn't have much. You would have looked around the room and you would have said, really? And then, then I look at my old messages that I spoke then. Very, very unimpressive. I've looked at some of the notes and I thought, oh God, thank you for your grace. The poor people had to hear that. My wisdom, underwhelming, underwhelming. Our worship, don't get me started. So unimpressive and unremarkable, you would be listening going, really, that's all you got? Our, our, our location, dark and dingy. But we had a message. And it was Sin obliterating, shackle destroying, addiction busting, life creating, God connecting message. And it was filled with power. Filled with power. It wasn't because we were anything special, but Jesus was special. And he changed things. And I love that moment in time because I learned to depend on him. Because I realized talent and everything would not create what happened there. Jesus was the only one that could get the glory. He was the only one that could. And you know what we discovered? This shocked me. Shocked me. That the more we shared the message, the more powerful it became. Not because the message changed, but our faith rose. 
I can't tell you how many people came into that church because it was a very dysfunctional area and our church was. And I thought that person will never change. And they were changed. And all of a sudden, I, we started as a community, we started to actually believe the words of Jesus. In, in the, the Gospels, it says in Luke chapter 4 that he went into his synagogue, his local church, and he pulled out the scroll of Isaiah and he read these words in front of his home church. He said, God's spirit is on me. He has chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor, sent me to announce pardon to prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind. Listen to this. To set the burden and battered free, to announce this is God's year to act. And I love the next part. After he's done, it says, he rolled the scroll up, handed it back to the assistant, sat down, and every eye in the place was on him intent. Then he started. You've just heard scripture make history. It came true just now in this place. Friends, this is the equivalent to dropping the mic and walking away. He's saying in that moment, it's happening now. Prisoners being set free. Blind eyes seeing. The battered and beaten down will be freed. And here's the amazing thing. Because he was the fulfillment of the promise of God. And that same spirit is in you, friends. That same message is in you, friends. Have you undervalued the message that is inside of you, how powerful and transformative and changing it is. And of course, that message, we're to go and bring that to a world to heal it and bring it back to God. So again, friends, here's your part. Let's say it together. We're not keeping this quiet, not on your life. Not on your life, we're not keeping this quiet. So we have a message, and it's unchangeable. And it's the story of Jesus. And we have, a, we have a, a mission that we can't choose. Christ has chosen for us. And then we have methods. You know what was interesting? When we landed in this community and Shelly and I moved into an apartment right in this community and we walked around and we met people for weeks, we quickly realized that the church we had grown up would not work there. It couldn't work there because it was so different. And I remember one of our decisions early on, it doesn't sound radical at all now, but 25 years ago, it was radical. We decided, we looked around, nobody owned a suit there. Nobody owned a dress there. It was second generation. They were caught in poverty and welfare and addictions. It was a very difficult place to live. It's a place where social service industries went to die. They did. And they expected our church to go the same way all the other churches that had tried to start there went. And thank God it's still going there. But you know what was interesting? When we went there, we realized that we needed to be a church where people could come any way they, what they have. So it was jeans and t-shirt and shorts and t-shirt. Now, again, nowadays, that's normal. 25 years ago, mm, not so much. We, we created a, a motto. We thought, how are people going to know what type of church we are? And so we had a simple word that was so easy to say and so hard to live. We simply came up with a motto. It was this, come as you are, you'll be loved. And we figured out quickly, people came as they were. And loving was harder than we thought. But you know what's neat? I learned in my early, as a young adult, everybody needs love. 
I'll go further. I'll say everyone deserves to be loved. And it's not easy to love our enemies, but they deserve it too. It's not easy to love the broken and the messy, but they deserve it too. Uh, we had worship, and I came from this background of playing music and bands, and I like new wave and rock and all that kind of stuff. And, but that community liked country western music. And on the spectrum of music, I love, man, classical and R&B. I love all kinds of styles, but country music doesn't reach my spectrum. And here I was leading music, country western style, because that's what they loved. And you know, I did not like the music at all. I got to tell you, I did not like the music, but I loved it because the message was there. We were singing about Jesus. And even though I didn't like the style, I couldn't help it. Couldn't help myself. I couldn't stop myself from worshiping. I didn't like it, but I loved it. I just couldn't help myself. Why? Because we're talking about Jesus. I'm all about Jesus. I can't help but resonate in a worship time, even if it was so different. And then the most radical thing we did, and we didn't do it to be radical either, was about five weeks in, I realized, these people who never went to church, they couldn't sit through a church service. And the reason was, was because everyone, it was like, it felt like the whole church. I don't know if everyone, but it felt like the whole church. Everybody smoked a lot. And so about the time we were done the songs, we didn't call it worship because people thought that was something you did. You killed something on the altar. So we didn't want to weird them out. So we call it songs. After the song times, we noticed they're fidgeting. They're looking around. They're just looking, they're ready to go. So I decided five weeks in, I thought, okay, we did songs that were done. I went to the microphone and said, okay, we're going to take a 10-minute smoke break. You can grab your coffee and donuts at the back. Please smoke outside. That's when I learned. I learned that sometimes methods can be dangerous in this regard. The churches around us, they shared the same heart we did that the message was sacred. They, they shared the same heart I had that the mission was sacred. But it was in that moment I realized, oh, some people think the methods are sacred. And I knew they weren't. But at 24, I was getting killed and criticized. I don't know to this day why I didn't give in. I don't know if I was stubborn or if I just loved those people so much and I felt like, you know, the Holy Spirit will deal with these things in their life in time. But they're in a church community and they found Jesus and it's going to take time for them to be freed. It's going to take time. I can't be the Holy Spirit. It's not my job to convict them of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job to do that. I don't know if that was the case. Why? But I learned a valuable lesson in that moment, a very valuable lesson in my, that moment. I wish... I knew then what I know now, because I wouldn't have been surprised at all. Because Jesus was killed because of the methods. It's very interesting, when he arrived on the, on the planet and he began to interact with the religious leaders of that day, they had methods to get to God and Jesus was cutting out the middleman. Jesus was cutting out all the methods along the way, and this was dangerous talk. They had worked hard establishing boundaries and standards, and all of a sudden Jesus is coming and he's hanging out with women and prostitutes and all kinds of broken people that were not clean. 
That, whoa, whoa, okay, Jesus, they're welcome once they clean their act up. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 they're welcome, and then I'll begin to clean them up. Uh, no, they'll be loved once they get all right. No, 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 I'm going to love them so they can be all right. It was so different. And see, in the Old Testament, God had commanded the people of God, and he, he had a, what was called a salt covenant with them. They were to be salt and light to the Gentile nations, and they didn't do it. And so Jesus shows up and he says, time's up, I'm taking over. And he changes the methods. And the religious leaders are ticked, it's difficult. But friends, you know, I don't think those Pharisees, I don't think anyone for that matter, resists the move of God consciously. I think it's a, it's a pattern we establish in our life. At some point we become resistant to change. At some point we become uncomfortable with new ideas. Uncomfortable with new people leading and, and, and all of these things isolated to themselves don't even feel like they should be bothered to be mentioned. But cumulatively, we wake up one day and it has a layering effect and we look around and we think, ah, this is not the church that I first started going to. And we, we look around and we think, I don't know everybody. It's so professionally run. <laughs> it's youthy. It's loud. I don't know all the people on stage. Friends, this has nothing to do with age, by the way. But let me ask you to check yourself for a minute. Ask yourself this question. Are you still coming to church for the very first reasons you started coming to church? Because we often start coming to a church because we like the worship, because we like the teaching, because we find community and we find friends. But friends, if you're still coming and you're 20, 30 years in with Christ, and you're still coming for the same reasons you first started coming, the problem's not the church. Because within moments of receiving the message, our reasons for coming to be a part of a church community changes. It's not what I'm getting out of it anymore. I'm coming to give. I'm coming to learn and equip. Why? Because I got to get on mission. I got to get on mission. If you're struggling with changing methods, you need to go backwards. You need to remind yourself of the mission of why we're doing what we're doing. Church is confusing, friends. It's a place where we find comfort, right? I love that. If, if, if you're not in Christian community, listen, if I wasn't a pastor, I'd be part of a local church. I'd be very involved, and I'll tell you why. When you're going through tough times, do you know what it's like to have people come around you and pray for you? Wow. To have people notice you and love you? Whoa. It's life-giving. It's life-changing. It's life-altering. I love Christian community. Some of us over time, though, think it's about getting comfort at church. No, God comforts us, but we should never be comfortable in church because we're on mission. We're in roll up the sleeves time. We're in like, let's get doing this. This is about us reaching people and touching people and empowering the next generation and passing off faith to them. This is critically important for where we're headed. But over time, methods become sacred. And every one of us, regardless of our age here. And what happens is we become ineffective at mission as time goes on. At the close of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi, prophetic prayer, a prophetic prophecy as to the end times and talking about 
this idea and this process of methods in this way. It says this, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. A really interesting verse. Who turns first there? Just read it. You can take as much time as you want. Who turns first? The parents turn first. The parents do the turning, not the children. So I was thinking about how I could illustrate this. Do you know what this is? It's, a, it's the first generation MacBook Air. And it looks pretty sweet, but this is old, very old. And I love, I love, I love technology. I, I like it only in as much as it works for me. I'm not a techie, uh, as some of the staff will attest to. But I have this habit that I will confess in front of all of you, and maybe you have the same habit. At whatever kind of computer you have, if you have used Google or IBM or Microsoft or Apple, you ever notice how they're always sending you updates for your software? Like it's on your phone, it's incessant, right? But they give you an option. Update now, or you get to press the button I love. Not now. So I often press not now, and I'll tell you why I press not now. I don't need it. I'm convinced I don't need it. You know why I don't need it? Because this does what I want it to do. It provides exactly what I want it to do. Man, I can write my message. I don't need to update the software to do anything different. So I always press, not now. Not now. Why would I want to? And sometimes I feel like, you know, they're so aggressive with their updates. I don't want to be, I don't want to be part of that. Then a year later, this came out. What this is? iPad. Oh, love the iPad. And I plug it into my laptop, and I tether them together with a cord, and the laptop says, what's this? <laughs> I don't want to talk to this. What is this thing? Because I have pressed not now, I never got the updated software for the iPad. And all of a sudden, this couldn't speak to this. All of a sudden, the laptop, the past, could not speak to the iPad, the future. Until I pressed update now. Now, they're fine on their own because, you know what's interesting? They're created from, the, they come from the same creator. They both have significant power. They both have significant potential, and they can both work independent of each other. The, the laptop can work by itself. The iPad can work by itself. But if you want them working together, if you want them communicating together, an update was needed. Friends, we have churches all over the world that are laptop churches working by themselves and iPad churches working by themselves, but we're not that type of church. We are a generationally inclusive church. But I want to ask you a question. Who had to do all the changing? Really quiet now. The laptop had to do all the changing. The iPad was already up to date. So it feels uncomfortable for laptops. And why would a laptop want to even update itself? Mission. 
Why would they be willing to change their methods? Mission. Friends, if you're stuck and you don't have the fear to be on mission, you need to go back to message and remind yourself of how deeply loved and accepted and what the sacrifice of Jesus is. But if you're stuck on methods and you find going to church stressful and anxious because things are changing, you need to go back to mission. And you remind yourself, why are we doing this? It's those, those little ones that are dancing around in the aisle, that faith will catch. It's for our teens and young adults that faith will catch. It is for people that have never, they're not even on our radar, that faith will catch. And friends, if you have people in your life that you love that don't know Jesus, you know what I mean. If you don't because you have only Christian friends, it's very difficult because your life can become more about comfort and being comfortable than it is about being on mission. Be careful. We love you. And I would say this, Jesus was the iPad in the Gospels. And he came and it says that his very own didn't know him. Because for years, the religious leaders have been pressing, not now. Not now to the updates. So here's, here's my pastoral talk piece. Here it is. If you're an older laptop, we love you. And we so desperately need you. I want you to know, because I hear it all the time from our younger generations, they don't want to do church without you. They don't want to do church without their moms. They don't want to do church without their dads. They don't want to do church without their grandfathers. They don't want to do church without their grandmothers. They need you more than you know. They need you more than you could possibly know. It's one of the richest things about being a part of an intergenerational church. So I'd say to you, recognize that we love you and you're needed. If you're an iPad generation, let me encourage you. It's not going to be long that you're going to have to update. So I start this church. Nobody goes to church before they came there. I'm 25 at this time, and we've got to change facilities. Because the church, we were, the building we were renting, we needed to go to a new one. These people, again, have known Jesus for like 18 months, maybe. And we moved to the new church, and I set up the chairs differently. And people are like, this is not the same thing. I don't feel God anymore. And I'm just like, you guys haven't even been alive in Christ long enough to know tradition, and you're traditional. And I realized then, listen, listen, if you're an iPad generation... Be careful. Don't link your heart to methods. Link it to the mission. Link it to the message. And if you're an iPad generation person, I've got great news for you. I can tell you for a fact that the grandfathers, grandmothers, moms, and dads in this place, they want to do church with you too. We have this incredible group of elders in this church. Some of them are wearing these tags sitting around you. And now I encourage after the gathering, if you ever need prayer, look for an elder. They're there for you. These are people who are mature in their faith. And on Wednesday of this week, we took time along with the deacons of this church to fast and pray for you because we love you. We love you. you. This is your church. And we want you to be a part of it. And we're praying into our fall for everyone in this church, every generation, that we will all go deeper and further in Christ because we have a mission and we have a message. So friends, if you're 20, if you're in your 20s here, are you coming alongside our teens? 
If you're in your 30s, are you looking out for our young adults? If you're in your 40s, like I am, and my kids are older, do you remember the kids in kids' ministry that might need to still be mentored? We're still always handing out faith. In this culture that is challenging at this stage, let me say this. We're in a day of working together, and we need to be, all generations. But if we're not intentional, we won't do our part. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Friends, just think of the message of Jesus, even as we're praying. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for his love. Thank you for his devotion to us. And God, we want to be the people that are not just looking to you for a beginning, but throughout our lives, we're willing to change. The gospel is powerful, and it's inside of us, and we're going to let it explode. God, may your word May the truth of Jesus tear down strongholds in our lives. Set captives free. Free the battered and burdened among us, God. May the power of Jesus be at work in this church. It will never be about what we have. It will always be about what you have. And God, because we have you and you're in us, God, you have anointed us to do the work of your son Jesus on this earth. So give us courage to be on mission. Give us courage to be not ashamed of the gospel, not ashamed of Jesus. Lord, give us wisdom to not be the type of person that's aggressive, but God, let, oh God, we pray, Jesus, we'd have courage to allow you to leak out of us everywhere, God, because we love you so deeply. And God, I pray, Jesus, that you give us such a grace as a community that the methods, well, well, we'll hold on to pieces, but we'll hold on to them lightly, God. God, we want your way in fall 2018. Come and visit us. Come and move us. Come and change us. Come and transform us from the inside out. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.